sacrifice. Well, we're in this series called Deeply Rooted. And today we're looking at this subject of breaking the surface. And I'm going to talk to you about the Word of God. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to two, two passages this morning. Uh, normally it's one. Today it's two. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 uh, would be the focal verse. That's the verse that God has used to birth this, this series, uh, Deeply Rooted. And then the second group of scriptures I'm going to ask you to turn to is 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 through 17. So Ephesians chapter 3, 16 through 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17 is where we're going to be. I'm going to talk to you this morning about this issue of breaking the surface. And so we've talked about this principle that whatever is rooted in you will, will, will eventually come out of you. Whatever is rooted in you will break the surface of your life. And a lot of times we just worry about the superficial stuff and not the foundation, not what is rooted in us. This last week I was just, I was going through in my mind and, and I pulled, this is my Bible. This is the first Bible that I bought when I came to faith in Christ. I came to faith in Christ in, in 1981. Uh, Karen came to faith in Christ in 1982, then we were married in, in 83. And so I came to Christ in, in 1981, and so I decided just to pull this Bible and see some of the markers that, that, that maybe God used in my life that maybe I'd forgotten about. One cool thing is I opened my Bible and Karen's phone number uh, fell out, because <laughs> that's how I rolled in those days. <laughs> And so I came to Christ, and I'm telling you, I devoured God's Word. Uh, I mean, I had to find a whole new group of friends. I had to find a whole different places to hang out. And all of a sudden, God's Word became life to me. And I devoured His Word and to where, to where I can go through and see markers and things that are underlying, things that I can tell which were my favorite passages or which were my favorite books and things that spoke to me. But one of the things that just rocked my world is when I, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, I highlighted some stuff and I, I made a note in the margin that said, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is my first Sunday school, 7th um, grade for 7th grade boys, Bible study that I taught and I dated it. And it was out of 2 Samuel 7, when God talked about to David about building his temple and and one of the verses was that I underlined and highlighted and put a note by and said he shall he shall build a house for my name and I'll establish my throne forever and little did I know, 14 years later, God would lead me to leave a profession and build a church. I'm telling you, God's word is true. And God's word, if you will trust it, will speak into your life. And from what Ephesians says, it will touch your inner being. And, and I'm telling you, this just comes out of an overflow in my life that I'm going to talk to you about. This has been a lifelong journey for me. I have planted my life on his, on his word. I have planted everything about me comes out of his word. And listen, I, I get it and I understand that everybody has theology. Whether people realize it or not, everybody has a theology. They either have a theology of God or they have a theology of his word. Uh, my father passed away in, in April of this year. 
And so I'm, I'm in charge of dad's finances and taking care of mom and all that other stuff along with my brothers and sisters. And so my dad never filed his taxes on time. He always, he always, he always did an extension in, in, in the same this year. And so I, I figured out who his accountant was. I called his accountant and got to the front office, finally got to the lady that handles my dad's books. And, and I said, hey, this is Charlie Jones. My dad, it was Charles G. Jones, uh, and my dad has passed away. And she immediately goes, awesome, what a great time for your dad to die. I mean, I mean, what an awesome time to be in heaven. What an awesome time for you, your dad to die. Can you believe this? He is up there when Robin Williams is coming in and Joan Rivers are coming in. And I'm, I'm thinking, I, I told her, I said, yeah, heaven probably pretty much sucked till they got there. And so, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what is up with that? Who has that kind of theology? That like heaven wasn't a great place until like Robin Williams and that's her theology that he's here and whatever and, and Joan Rivers and it has to be a great place, great place to die. Nothing about God, nothing about Jesus. See, we all have a theology. We all have a theology. We all have a belief about God or scripture. Paul says, Ephesians 3, 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted, grooted down deep and grounded in love. Listen, I'm telling you, speaking the words of Christ is the fruit we bear when our lives are rooted in his word, when our lives are rooted in him. In other words, whatever is rooted in you will eventually break out of you, will eventually break the surface. You, for you and I, it is critical that we plant our lives in God's word so that it bears good fruit in our lives. But, but to plant our lives in God's word and to stand on his word, we must first believe that it's true. We, worth, we must first believe that it is, it is really his word and his Bible. Because for our lives to truly be rooted in Christ, we've got to know that we can trust it. I mean, we want to we get to the place where his book is our favorite book. I mean, and I know it's a preacher story, and I don't know if it really happened, and so I'll just, I'll just, that's my disclaimer. But there's this story about a preacher that goes into someone's house. It was a group of, it was a family that visited, it was, were at his church. And so he, he looked at the father, and, 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 and he was talking about scripture. And so all of a sudden, the dad looked at his son and said, son, why, why don't you go get dad's favorite book? And so the little boy went in another room and came out with a pro bass uh, shop catalog. And we need to get to the place, guess what, to where the Bible is our favorite book. To where our family knows, that guess what, favorite book for him, favorite book for her, that's scripture. Because Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs tells us the root cause of every problem in your life is because of the setting aside of God's word. The disregarding of his counsel. Being disobedient to his word. And we need to get to the place to where the Bible is is our favorite book. But I'm telling you, you know this, there are many today that are very cynical. And they're, they're questioning the Bible. Their question is, 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 is what we have what they have? How can we trust an ancient document like this? How can, we, how can we know that the Bible is the Word of God? And listen, I'm telling you, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture in the course of, of, of this sermon. And I want to give you four things, and I want you to walk out of here with several things. But one, I want you to walk out of here with a commitment and a love for his word. The first one is this, is the Bible is the word of God. We have a historical faith that is based upon a historical document and should be evaluated that way, not out of emotion, 
Not anything that's spooky, but just out of that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That means God breathing His Word through the, through the Holy Spirit, breathing His Word through human writers. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Whatever is rooted in you will break the surface. Whatever is rooted in you will come out of you. Whatever is rooted in you, when you are rooted in God's Word, guess what? You're complete. When you're rooted in God's Word, you are equipped for every good work. But the question many people have, is that true? Is the Bible we have in our hands, is the Bible that we have on an iPad or a tablet or a smartphone or whatever, is that what they have? Can we really trust it? Or has the Bible gone through so many different translations, so many different religions or, or revisions that we no longer have what they have? I mean, can I really plant my life in this book knowing that it's the Word of God? And so we just got to be careful where, where we get our resources from when we walk through this. I mean, there are some, the, the, the writer uh, Dan Brown. Uh, Dan Brown wrote the Da Vinci Code, right? And there are some that this has caused confusion. But, but let's just be really, really clear here. Uh, Dan Brown writes fiction. He's a novelist. Never, 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 never get your theology from a writer that writes fiction. Here's a quote that Dan Brown says. The Bible has evolved through countless translations, editions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of this book. There's no, listen, there's no historical proof of that. This book is a historical document that we can look at based upon historical fact. So many of us, we've heard that statement. Maybe you've heard the statement around the water cooler in office and school. Maybe even in your home where someone says the Bible has been translated, retranslated so many times that we can't possibly get back to the original. Uh, there, there's an atheist that wrote a couple of books, uh, C.J. Werleman. C.J. Werleman wrote two books, Jesus Lied and God Hates You, Hate Him Back. Now, he's an atheist. And so he says, the one that does not exist hates you. So hate the one who does not exist, hate him back. To me, just by that title, he loses all credibility. Werleman says this, we don't have any of the original manuscripts of the Bible. The originals are lost. We don't know when and we don't know by whom. What we have are copies of copies. In some instances, the copies we have are 20th generation copies. No historical proof. Muslim, Mormon apologist would love for you to believe that the Bible was corrupted in about 325 AD after the life of Christ, after the death of Christ, that it was corrupted, that the original text of the Bible never taught anything about the deity of Christ, that Jesus was the monogenes of God, the one and only, the begotten son. They would like for you to believe, and listen, Mormons and Muslims stand together on this, that their apologists would like for you to believe that the Bible, the original, never talked about the deity of Christ. And it was corrupted by church fathers. It was corrupted by the Council of Nicaea. And that the, they invented the deity of Christ at that point. So let me, ask, some, let me an, ask and answer some questions just from a historical perspective as we walk through this. Is the first question you may be having, do we have any originals of, of, of the New Testament? Do we have the original documents? And so the answer is, is no. Uh, the, the New Testament was originally 27 different documents sent to, in various letters, sent to various churches and, 
and, uh, and individuals, and it's written on a scroll. And so we don't have any of the New Testament documents written on scrolls. Uh, what we do have is we have manuscripts uh, of the Bible that were written on something called a codex, C-O-D-E-X, uh, which, is, which is just, it looks just like a book. It's, it's, it's cut pages front and back, it's binded, and all of those things. So the big question would be for, for textual criticism, the big statement would be uh, to understand for uh, historical data, well, okay, then how many copies do we have? How many manuscripts of the Bible do we have? And listen, this number may not seem staggering to you, but as we walk through this, you're going to realize what a staggering number this is. Of all the manuscripts of the scriptures that we have found, uh, and we're still finding them, 5,839. The average Greek New Testament is about 459 pages. That means we have a total of 2.6 million pages of the New Testament. So if you want to compare apples to apples this morning and say, well, how about the average Greek or Latin scholar of their time? Whether it's Herodotus or, or Josephus, uh, Homer, Homer, Homer's Iliad, and so, so, so their documents, their writings, about how many do you, copies do you have of each one of theirs? On average, it's only 20. We have 5,839. The greatest of these is Homer, Homer's Iliad, that they found about 10% of what the New Testament has. And here's the crazy thing. Homer's Iliad had a 900-year start on the New Testament. Daniel Wallace, who's an expert on this, you can get some of his books online. I'll quote him. He said, it just doesn't matter how you look at this. The New Testament, far and away, is the best attested ancient document from Greco-Roman world. In fact, on the basis of manuscript evidence, historical data, historical fact, we can say that we have a thousand times more evidence that Jesus Christ existed than we do that Alexander the Great even existed. In fact, crazy. In fact, we were waiting almost a thousand years to get the first document about Alexander the Great after he lived. When you go to the fourth and the fifth century, fourth and fifth um, century writers, and we waited about 1,500 to 1,800 years before we got any of their first writings that would be like that would be like this us waiting 1800 years after the life of Christ to get the first manuscript so just so we can wrap our heads around this that would mean we would get the first manuscript of the life of Christ about the time the Wright brothers discovered the airplane Can you imagine how many people would doubt then? If we had to wait 1,800 years before we got the first copy of the New Testament? So how soon did we get a copy of the New Testament, the originals? Was it 1,000? Not even close. It was less than 100 years. Our faith, listen, I'm telling you, our faith is a historical faith. It's based upon historical documents and historical fact. By, by, the, by the first 300 years after the life of Christ, we had approximately 
120 manuscripts of the New Testament. How many historical documents did we have from classic Greek authors during that time? Did we find? Zero. Zip. Nada. Nothing. Not a one. On average, we were waiting well over 500 years to get a copy of their manuscript of the historians of their day. And so the big question may be, well, okay, so out of the 5,839 manuscripts, are there, are, there, are there any variants? That's what textual crit criticism is all about, where you take these documents, you line them up against each other, and you say, are there any variants? And variance is this, there's, there's, well, here's the definition of a variant. It includes word order, order, omission of a word, addition of words, even spelling differences, even if they're minor spelling differences. Yeah, there's some of those. To be honest with you, there's some of those. There's some spelling differences. Listen, there, there's some word order, order differences. But listen, the Greek language is not like the English language. See, in the English language, word order matters. So you can determine the objects and the direct objects and the nouns and all those other things. So you can diagram the sentence. In Greek, word order does not matter. It's a highly inflected language. What matters is, so you can tell the object, the direct object, is by the way the word ends, the ending of the word. And yeah, there's some omissions. Well, how many of those, how many of those textual variances have any meaning? What the experts would say, what, what Daniel Wallace would say, and many other experts would say, less than one, well, less than 1%. Okay? So if you want to look at Homer's Iliad, which, which has less than 10% of what the Bible has in, in manuscript numbers, and you take textual criticism and you apply it to Homer's Iliad, then you know what that, their number is about the, the differences that are, that are a little bit, that are kind of significant or meaningful? 5%. Fact is, one expert said when he was asking in, in an interview, uh, he was asked if the essential beliefs of the Christian life are affected by the variance, and he would say this, essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variance in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. It's just minor. It's a word spelling, it's word order, maybe an omission of a word. There's a definite article in the Greek and that's caused a lot of problems as far as textual criticism. Every expert will say when you compare them, it's one of the most accurate books we've ever discovered. The Bible is called the Holy Bible. You know where it gets its name, Bible, comes from a Greek word, Biblios. Biblios was a, a, a Phoenician city. It's where they had their printing press of their day, and they didn't have a printing press. It's where scribes were. And so it's called Biblios. It's where we get our word Bible from. And it was called the Holy Biblios because holy means to be set apart. There are 66 books that make up this Bible. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. So let me ask, answer this question. So how many authors of the Bible are there? One. God's Word is God-breathed. He is the author. It is God-breathed through the Holy Spirit, through using men as an instrument, you may say, well, wait, okay, so then how many instruments, how many writers are there of the Bible? There's about 40 writers of the Bible. The reason I say about is because there's some books that 
We don't, we don't really know who, write, who wrote it. There's some, like Hebrews and some other books, there's some discussion on that. But this is the holy book. It is his autobiography. God wrote his autobiography through man. And this book is not a bunch of made-up stories. Now listen, when I came to faith in Christ in 81, this is something very, very important to me. I was an engineer and I'm coming out of profession that, that, that the source document means everything because if the source document is, is flawed, then everything's going to be flawed. I want to give you just real quickly some scientific evidence that just rocked my world, still rocks my world. I can't, listen, I have over two hours of teaching on this. There's no way I can give it to you all in, in this service. But, but, but let me just give you some. 1615, William Harvey discovered the circulation of the blood and the fact that life is actually in the blood. 3,000 years prior to this in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 1711, here's what the scripture says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. It took 3,000 years for medical science to catch up with the Bible. The Greeks taught, when Job wrote the book of Job, the Greeks taught that the world was on the back of Atlas. Atlas was the foundation of the world. Here's what Job writes. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. Nobody believed it then. Another one, modern science says, and it said for years, and it still says, and still says, that the identical 16 elements found in the body are also found in the ordinary soil of the earth. Genesis 2.7, this is what he's, uh, the, the scripture says. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. One scientist said this, and I quote, If it were possible for the human body to instantly lose all of its electrical values, the body would instantly fly into dust. Again, it took thousands of years for medical science to catch up with what the Bible said. When Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote, no one believed that the earth was round. We know now that it was later confirmed by science, right? Here's what Isaiah writes. It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth. There is once a scientific feeling, in fact, that all life had the same protoplasm. All life really had the same ingredients. Now they know that's not true. Thousands of years later, or before that, 1 Corinthians 1539, not all flesh is the same. But there's one kind for humans, there's another kind for animals, there's another for birds, there's another for fish. Science used to point to the Bible over the scriptures I'm about ready to read until the early 60s. In the early 60s, astronomers discovered that every heavenly body makes a unique sound, a unique noise. Job 38.7 says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. It wasn't until the 60s that science confirmed what the Bible said. In fact, is now they have an instrument that they've even learned every star makes a unique sound. I'm telling you, regardless of how many PhDs 
a person has behind their name, how many books they've written. And if they say the Bible is inaccurate and it's full of errors and full of mistakes, has been translated and retranslated, we no longer have assurance of what we have is what they have. It reveals their ignorance, not yours. Our faith is a historical faith. It's based upon a historical document. Second thing about the Bible is this. The Bible is our daily bread. Exodus 16.4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. Jesus said in, in Matthew 16.11, How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread because... But beware of the leaven, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Okay, so does this, does this refer to provision? Absolutely, I think it does. But does it only refer to natural provisions, or is it also talking about spiritual provisions? I mean, when you start looking at this issue of the picture of the bread and the, the symbology of the bread, and we're going we're gonna to read Scripture after Scripture. I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture this morning. Bread in Scripture represents the Word of God. Is it possible what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 16, that he was saying, pray every day for a word from God. Pray every day, pray every day for your daily word from God. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gone through a period where you felt weak or tired? Have you ever gone on an extended fast or, or, or for a medical procedure or, or, or for a spiritual reason? Have you, ever, have you ever done without food for a while and you felt weak physically? Can I just tell you this? <laughs> There are a lot of Christians who are on the wrong side and doing the wrong kind of a spiritual fast. They're fasting from God's Word. And they're no longer reading God's Word. They're no longer asking God, God, just give me a daily word. And many of you are weak and tired because you're not getting a daily word from Him. Do you know God wants to give you a daily word from Him? Wouldn't you like God to speak to you daily? to reveal more who he is and who you are? I mean, listen, I, even more personal, what was your daily word from God this morning? Every one of us should be able to answer that. Every one of us should be able to say, this morning I was reading, and I realized God, God is my good shepherd, and he'll sustain me, and I'm going through a time of difficulty, but he's promised he's going to lead me, and he's going to guide me, he's going to be my good shepherd. And listen, let me tell you something. I want everybody in our church to life journal. I want everybody in our church to learn to life journal. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go on a journey with me. Our staff does this. Our elders do this. Our leaders do this. We believe in this. Tell me, when I came to faith in Christ, I devoured his word to where my wife was shocked. I'd only been a Christian a year. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to life journal. And I'm asking you immediately following this service, go to the Welcome Center if you're not life journaling. And just purchase a life journal. There's, there's seven bucks. I'm, we're not making any money. That's what it cost us. And, and uh, so we're not making any money on that. And there's some instructions. They'll help you about how to do it and everything. But I'm asking you. This is life to us. And listen, if you say... Oh, $7. I don't know that I can afford $7. Well, then we'll buy you one. No shame, no embarrassment. Just tell them, hey, listen, I, I don't have cash or I can't afford it. And we'll give you one. And, here's, and then here's my personal offer. It's a satisfaction guaranteed offer. If you're, 
if you'll buy a life journal, if you'll life journal for 30 days, at the end of 30 days, if you are not fully satisfied, you come to me, you tell me you weren't so fully satisfied, and I'll personally refund your $7. That's not church funds, that's my funds. I will personally give you your money back. Because I'm telling you, God's word is true. And God's word is life. Psalm 68, 19 says, blessed be the Lord. Watch this. Who daily bears us up. God is our salvation and the way that he bears us up is through his word. And God, listen, God would like to bear you up daily. That word bear in the Hebrew simply means this, that, that he helps you bear a burden in, in order to, to uh, endure something difficult, endure something unpleasant, whether it's on one's own behalf or the behalf of the other. Listen, let me tell you something. Here's just a, here's just a, a biblical principle. God never puts more on us than he has put in us to bear us up. God will never put more on you then he has not put in you to bear you up. But you have to be rooted in him. You have to, because whatever is rooted in you will eventually break the surface. And when you go on and read that psalm, you realize, and he loads us up with benefits. The third thing about the Bible is this, the Bible is our sustaining bread. In Matthew 4, 3, the scripture says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones uh, to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answers that, verse 4. But he answered, it is written. I want to know where it is written. We'll look at that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So where is it written? It comes out of Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. Guess what? Jesus believed in the Old Testament. Jesus believed that the Old Testament was valid. He taught from the Old Testament. And so verse 3 Deuteronomy 8, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may make you know that man does not, watch this, live by bread alone, but, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of our Lord. Just the same way that we need physical nourishment to sustain our bodies, we need spiritual nourishment to nourish our spiritual bodies. If you're going to be strong spiritually, if you're, going to, if you're going to sustain life, if you're going to be sustained spiritually, then you have to eat. The same is true physically. If you're going to have physical strength, you have to eat. Isaiah 55, 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. In other words, Isaiah is asking, why are you chasing things that do not nourish you spiritually? Why are you chasing so many things that won't sustain you spiritually? Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In other words, you know what he's saying? My people are destroyed because they don't know God's word. My people are not being bared up daily. They are being destroyed and they're making bad choices. They're making bad decisions because they, don't, they have a lack of knowledge. They don't even know what the Bible says, and they're unwilling to follow it. Job 23, 12. 
I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. In other words, you know what Job said? Job said, I'd rather read the Bible than eat. Because it's the only thing that will touch my inner soul. It's the only thing that will touch my inner being. Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. What a great promise. Listen, I'm telling you, in the back of my Bible, in the fly leaf, I mean, it, it is, I, here's what I wrote. This book will keep you from sin. Our sin will keep you from this book. That's what Joshua 1.8 says. One or two things is going to happen in your life or one or two things is going to happen in, in my life. I'm telling you. Taking all this into consideration, what is the most important thing you could do every day? Read His Word. Life Journal. There's nothing more important for us to do than to read His Word. The last thing is this. The Bible is, is true bread. John 6.13 Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is Jesus talking about the Old Testament. John 6.35 And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6.48 Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate, from, ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He's talking about spiritual nourishment. Listen, let me tell you something. In case you don't know, Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son, monogenes of God, from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Revelation 19.11 Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and Righteousness, and, and, and He judges and makes war. His eyes are, are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I'm telling you, whatever is rooted in you will come out of you. Whatever is rooted in you will break the surface. And when you, when you read this book, You're filling yourself with the words of Christ to the fullest. How many times during a day do you say something or something comes out of you that you don't like? And we respond in a way that we don't like that and I wish I could change that and I, I, I wish I could be more like Jesus. And Well, I'm telling you, the way to be more like Jesus is to get His Word in your life. To be rooted in Christ. To where you come to the place to where you understand. Listen, I'm telling you, I am so burdened by the number of malnourished Christians because they're not 
reading the word of God and they're being destroyed in their lives because of a lack of knowledge. And we've got to get to the point to where we read the word and we study the word and we meditate on the word. And we take the word and we apply it to our lives because Jesus became flesh and he, he dwelt among us. And his name is the word of God. He is the word of God. He is life to those who find it. Health to their whole body. It's purer than silver. It's better than gold. It's sweeter than honey. It is the word of God. And we've got to come to the place where we honor his word. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to commit and say, I'm going to honor his word. I'm going to jump online and read from Daniel Wallace. I'm going to read from some other experts, historical fact. But I'm going to take his word and I'm going to honor it. And I'm going to read his word. And I'm going to apply it to his life, to my life, and see what happens. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Our ushers and servers are going to make their way to the back and begin preparing the elements. And as they do, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I just want to pray for you before we, before we take a communion the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Scripture says this in Corinthians, that before we take of the bread and we take of the juice, that we're to examine our lives. And Well, we have a historical faith based upon a historical document. We have a thousand times more evidence that Jesus Christ existed than Alexander the Great. We can approach his word with confidence that it's his word. And I don't know what God has for you this morning. I'm confident he has something for each one of us. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to pray for you, then our servers are going to begin handing out the bread and the juice. But you just sit before him and you just listen to him in the quietness of this place. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the power of your word and the accuracy of your word. Father, we ask that as we walk through this time, we'd know that you're here, you've been here all service, and that you'd speak to us in a very special way, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. As the bread and the juice is being handed out, there's two cups, one on top of the other. You'll grab both cups. You'll just hold them there in place. You don't have to be a member at Fellowship the Rockies to take a, take a communion. You do have to meet the biblical requirements. In other words, you, you need to be a Christian. This is for Christians. Now, you may be seated with a child who has never come to the place to where they've accepted Christ. This would be a wonderful opportunity for you to explain to them why you're taking of the bread and why you're taking of the juice. This may be a time that you could lead them to Christ. But the scripture says before we take of the bread and we take of the juice, we should examine our lives. So I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. As the bread and the juice are being passed out, then I'll come back and we'll take together as a church family.
Paul gave the local church instructions about what this time looks like. And we can have total confidence in what he told us. And he said, for I received from the Lord, in other words, scripture, God breathed through man. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Then on the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he, he took breath. And it says that he, he gave thanks. And he broke it. And then he said, this is, this is my body, which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember? And we remember when we came to faith in Christ. We remember what our life was like before we met him. And it's been a mountain of memories this last week as I've walked through one of my first Bibles and just some of the notes and some of the things that I've highlighted and said. We remember that he went to the cross for us and he took on our sin. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And because of that, we can, we can have a relationship with him and we can have eternal life. We remember his sacrifice. Father, we thank you for the giving of your body. We thank you for your sacrifice. And Father, we remember that while we were still sinners, you loved us. You pursued us. You went after us. And we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your life. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Scripture goes on and says, In the same way also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Scripture says this, without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. You're totally and completely forgiven. Maybe today you need to make a decision. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to allow my life to line up with the pages of Scripture. And submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the shedding of your blood for without it there'd be no forgiveness of sin and Father we ask that we would know that we've been forgiven and that we'd live this life pursuing you pursuing purity handing our faith off to our children and to our spouses, to our family. And we love you. And we thank you for loving us, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Just real quickly, let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of his word? More importantly, what is he asking you to do? The only reason we ask for heads bowed, eyes closed is because sometimes we're just so easily distracted. 
So let me ask you, do you have a burden? Do you need prayer? We want to pray for you. We really do. In fact, as the psalm says, the way that he bears us up is through his word and praying for one another. So if you're carrying a burden, you need comfort, you need support, you need encouragement. Maybe you want to come and pray for a friend. Maybe, maybe you're praying to make a, a decision in your life. We want to invite you to come. So after I pray, we stand. If you're carrying a burden, you step out, begin making your way down. We'll have some prayer partners down here. You don't have to walk alone. This is a safe place. So after I pray, if you need prayer for any area of your life, you come. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And Father, we ask by the power of your word, by the power of your name, that you pull this church very closely to you and we respond to you and that people are encouraged and find comfort and strength on this day. For we ask these saints in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me and as you stand.